0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who was unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 16-15
1: So as mentioned a little bit earlier, as we complete our series called Amen, looking at prayer, we've not looked at how technically to pray. Uh, Many of us pray in different forms. There's not one right way to do it. Even our example in Matthew 6 this morning where Jesus taught them to pray, it's not the technique he taught. It's how and why we pray. How and why we connect. You see, it's not our power or our words, or our technique that makes prayer legitimate. It's actually the connection to the one in which we pray. If you've been with us in the series, you know that we started by talking about it is the power of the Holy Spirit that compels us to pray, that inspires us to pray, that amens are amen, that speaks to us truth, that reminds us of the gospel and embeds that in our souls. It's Jesus who gave us permission to walk into the Holy of Holies, into the throne room of grace, and not only to walk in there sheepishly, no, to walk in there boldly. And then today we're going to talk about to whom are we praying? Who do we pray to? What difference does that make? And how does that inspire us to pray? Because this is not a you-need-to-pray-more sermon series. This is what a privilege it is to get to pray. Jesus said don't be like those who stand on the corners who use fancy words and expressions and draw attention to themselves because they have received what they wanted. They got the applause of men. I think he's alluding to the fact that it's not connected at all to God. It's a show. You see when Jesus taught us how to pray he showed us that one way is the posture of prayer that everybody recognizes but it has no meaning and one way is the way of belief which can also be very private. And personal. One is the way with God and one is the way around God, using God and using prayer for the applause of men. One seeks the Holy Spirit to direct us through the work of Jesus Christ and the other one seeks to direct God rather than being moved by him. So when we learn to pray, never forget who we pray to. So the difference is why we approach prayer. Inspired by the Holy Spirit to the work of Jesus Christ to the presence of our Father is what Jesus taught us about prayer. What a privilege that is. So I want to show you, and I'm not going to teach you anything new today, I just want to remind you of what we've been talking about now for three weeks as we built this argument that prayer is triune, right? Fancy, right? That's what preachers mean when they say it is the Holy Spirit the Son and the Father working together. We don't pray. We are moved to pray because we're connected to the source of all life. So let's begin. Faith-filled prayer is relational. I said it in week one because it's true. I said it in week two because it's still true. And I'll say it in week three and every week after because it'll always be true. Prayer is relational. Look at verses seven and eight. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is significant. This is not just technical. This is actually inspirational to the relationship that we've been given. He says, depending on your translation, don't pray like the pagans. Or don't pray like the hypocrites. Or if I can give you my translation, don't pray like the posers. The people who want to be known as spiritually deep. So they pray on and on and on. And they use fancy terms. And we'll talk about the mimicking of prayer because it's the way we teach children to pray. Your your kids will pray like you pray. So if you're saying, I don't pray, we'll figure that out. Because if you're not demonstrating prayer in front of your children, don't expect them to understand the importance of it in everyday life if it's not being modeled in front of them. That's why Jesus gave us a model prayer. I remember a story I read because I was doing some reading through presidential biographies and when Lyndon Johnson was president of the United States, you know, if you know anything about his personality, he was a gruff, very direct man who didn't take no for an answer. And one night at some uh, state dinner, he knew that Bill Moyers, who was on his staff as a speechwriter, was a Christian. So just gruffly in front of everybody, he said, Moyers, pray. So Bill Moyers bowed his head and began to pray a blessing over the meal. And in the middle of his prayer, the president from across the room said, I can't hear you. And Moyer looked at him, he said, I wasn't talking to you, and he went back to praying. (laughs) That may be what Jesus is talking about. So in this moment, Jesus said, don't be like those who draw attention to themselves in the way in which they pray, because they will have received their reward already. And then in verse 8, he says, because your father knows what you need. Now I think every one of us has asked this question, so let's be honest about it in church. See if you can complete the question for me. If God already knows what we need, then why pray? Huh? Interesting. Because here's what I want to teach. Here's what I want to share. When we understand how prayer is relational to who God is and who we are to Him, the question is not whether God will forget that you need food, shelter, and clothing on Tuesday if you don't pray for it on Monday. The question is not, will God forget us? The question may be, will we forget Him? Because my life has demonstrated that God has never forgotten me and I can go months on time without asking for the very simple things I presume he has owed me. That he's going to give this to me anyway because he's good, so why bother him with that? Remember, God doesn't need our information. He needs our trust. So we pray as a privilege of trust. If we go to God as a means to an end, we've turned it into something different. You see, every... Every conversation between people is presumed on a relationship. So, for instance, if I'm walking down Main Street in Joplin and I'm like, I walk up to somebody, I don't know if they're from Joplin, I don't know if they're from Kansas, Nebraska, or where they're from, but I presume something about this, and I walk up to them and I say, where's Hackett's Hot Wings? I think it has to be the most asked question in all of Joplin. Where's Hackett's Hot Wings? And I walk up to this person, they're like, uh, sorry, dude, I don't live here. Now, should they be offended at my question? Should I be offended that they can't answer it? No, because I don't know who they are. The question I'm asking, you could ask anybody. The other day, I stopped at a store, and this guy came across, and he was a big, burly man, had no sleeves on, furry arms, and he was just a big monster. And he was walking directly toward me, and I'm like, uh-oh, if he asks for money, he may beat me up. And he came walking directly toward me, and he's like, hey. I said, yeah. And he goes, uh, sorry, but do you have jumper cables? And I said, "Yeah, I do." And he goes, "My truck won't start." He goes, "Do you mind?" I said, "Not at all." I pulled the the or my Yukon over, and we hooked him up. And five minutes later, and he was really cool. He opened this like wallet bigger than my body on a chain as thick as I am, and he pulled it out. and He goes, "What do I owe you?" And I said, "Absolutely nothing, man. Be blessed. Go have a good day." And he was like, "Thank you." And he got in his truck, and he he sped off. And I lived. I was grateful. I lived. <laughs> so his requesting of me jumper cables was that inappropriate? It wasn't rude. It wasn't outlandish. No, because it was just, this is what citizens do for one another. People will take care of one another if they can. If he would have come up to me and said, do you have jumper cables? And I'm like, sorry, man, I don't carry him during the summer. Should he have been able to turn around and go, you're a worthless human being? No. So please understand through this little exercise we're doing that every conversation you have is presumed on relationship. If that man would have walked across the parking lot and said, hey, I like your vehicle. Can I have it? Uh, no, (laughs) 911, right? (laughs) But I didn't do that, because, and he wouldn't ask for that. However, now, play this with me. Are there maybe some people in your world that if they asked for your vehicle, you'd give it to them? I'm assuming the answer is yes. If your aged parents came to you and said, our car broke down and we don't have a vehicle and we can't afford payments on a fixed income, would you... Would you possibly consider going, we'll just take ours and we'll go ahead because we can figure out a way to make payments, right? Nod your head if you're with me. You would, you would give away some ridiculous requests to people if you had a right relationship with them. Do you understand what we're doing with prayer here, folks? It's how God sees you that opens up your relationship for prayer. I didn't say how you see God. I want you to understand this. If you really want to see God clearly, see how he sees you. Spend any time at all thinking about how God sees you as his daughter or his son, and you will see God differently than many people in the world see God. Is it a transactional relationship or a transformational one? Pretty simple. Transactional is if you do, I do. If you don't, I don't. Transformational is based on relationship. It's based on what you mean to me and what I mean to you. See, prayer is opened up in our lives. It is understood to be the privilege of a lifetime when it comes from you knowing how God sees you. When we can approach him for who we are to him, knowing that we can ask him anything, that he loves us enough to give his son on the cross, that there is nothing that we can't ask him, then we know who he is when he says yes, we know who he is when he says no, and we know who he is when he remains silent. When we know who we are in the eyes of God, we know God better. Because he has revealed himself through Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? One of his disciples in a bad moment said, show us the Father. And he's like, really? That's what I've been doing since day one. If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. The way that I am living with you and loving you and serving you and caring for you is God himself. Knowing who you are in his eyes, helps you know who he is in your own. That's why Jesus began the model prayer with our Father in heaven. Not our judge, not our landlord, not our king, our Father. See, prayer is not useful to us. Don't judge prayer on whether or not you get something. Base prayer on what you already have. A loving heavenly Father who sent his Son to die on the cross so that you might live in his kingdom and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not only live, but live abundantly, secure, powerful, alive. So it's relational. And faith-filled prayer is based on love and trust. So I want to show you here how you need to see yourself so that you can see God more clearly. John chapter 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become children of God. I want to leave that on the screen for a moment. I want you to notice two components to this. To those who have received him because they believed in him. Those are two separate choices you make. Satan believes Jesus is the son of God, but he does not receive him. He does not trust him. He does not live for him. So there is a receiving and a believing, and when that happens, you are brought into God's family. You are adopted. Now, we know this term adopted. Some of us in this room are adopted. Some of us in this room, because of this church and some amazing things people are doing, some of you have adopted people into your home and made them your children. But I learned something. It's not difficult to learn. It's not even that profound. But I think it makes an impact on the way we see our relationship with God. No child is adopted because they want to be. A child is only adopted because somebody else wanted them. You just can't go, I can't go adopt myself into someone else's family. Like, you just adopted me, sorry. Now, I have to be chosen. One of Paul's favorite words in the epistles. Somebody had to give an initiative outside of my own desires. Now, I want to rephrase then what John has told us multiple times in his writings. In the Gospel of John, in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, God loved you and chose you. You had nothing to do with it. He made an offer. Have you received it? Have you believed it? Because if you have, you are his child. You're not his stepchild. You're not his adopted child. You're not his once not now child. You are his daughter. You are his son. Because he's a king, you are a princess. You are a prince. And you're an heir. The world may tell you, you're this or you're that or you're not this or you're not that. I need you to understand, when we walk into the throne room of grace and we walk in boldly, it's because we know that the king of kings on that throne digs us. He chose us. He doesn't care how you're shaped. But God, he doesn't care if you're bald. He looks at you and he says, you're broken, you're needy, I loved you, I will fix you, I will raise you up. God doesn't lower the standard of his family. He raises us up to it. That's who we get to talk to. So when we say, oh, i got to pray, no, stop. You get to walk boldly into the throne room of grace, stand before the king of kings, and he knows your name. In fact, the Bible says your name is written on the palm of his hand. And the last time I checked, God's palm has a scar. You want to know what you mean to him? See your name on his hand. And then maybe the things of the world won't entice us so much. Maybe the temporary false things that feed our souls, trying to quench that thirst that only Jesus can quench. Maybe we'll stop drinking and eating that stuff because we understand where our fulfillment is. You want to begin to pray? Start with your adoption. How do you do that? Our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. I've often wondered, because I I sometimes make myself laugh, I've often wondered if I started my prayers differently, like our Father who is in heaven from Mark who's a broken man on earth. That might focus my prayer life. Because God's not shaming me, but the facts are the facts. I should not be adopted by him. I should not be loved by him. I should not be cared for by him. But you guess what, church? You know why I'm here today? Because I am. Because of him. So the inconveniences of churches and Sundays and ministry and service, worth it. My name is written on the palm of God's hand and so is yours. Have you received it? Do you believe it? 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I don't know if you memorize Scripture. I hope you would. But I want to give you a, a memory verse. I want that on the screen too. How great is the love the Father has lavished on, I, I'll always fall back to church camp. Bestowed on us. I never use that word anywhere but there. How great the Father's love for me is that he would call me his child. You want to open prayer? Start with scripture. Memorize passages that identify how much God cares for you, and then you will enter into the throne room of grace with great appreciation and gratitude. We do not pray every day so that we don't get penalized. We get to pray every day as one of the greatest privileges of our life. So, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to take the remainder of Matthew chapter 6, and I want to show you what we learn about God and what we learn about ourselves when we pray the Lord's Prayer. This is not a pattern to just pray, it is actually a pattern of living. It is a way we assess who we are in the presence of God. It's the way we see ourselves through the eyes of God in such a way that we see Him more clearly. So, let, let me pose it this way. Let's begin at the very beginning. God's answer to my inferiority is his person. When I am not, he is. When I can't, he can. When I am broken, he is perfect. When I am sinful, he is holy. When I live my life, he is not lowering the bar to include me. He is fixing me and raising me up through Jesus Christ into holiness and righteousness for the rest of my life. Are you with me? God continues to work in your life When you let him, he didn't just save you and put you on a shelf like an antique that no one can touch and nobody really knows why it's there. He created you to be a tool for ministry to serve other people with the same love that he served you. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. So when the world says Christians think they're better than us, we know different, don't we? We know we're not better than anybody else. We know we're still a project in process, that God is doing a work in us. Church, talk back to me. Are you with me? Yeah, testify for the person who thinks we're a bunch of hypocrites who come in here on Sunday and then go live real lives the rest of the time. That's probably true. But because God is working in us, prayer connects us back. Remember, God won't forget what we daily need. We will forget that we daily need him. So we lean. We lean into his holiness, and he raises us up. God's answer to a con- confusing, broken world is his sovereignty. I want you to see verse 10 in two pieces. Your kingdom come. God has a plan for this world. Sometimes you can wonder and it's okay. Sometimes you can wonder if anybody is in charge because it all seems to be breaking down around us moment by moment. It seem- things don't seem they can get worse, but over and over, evil, murder, murder, So much breaking out in our world that we just stop and go, is anybody in charge? Your kingdom come, we pray. Why do we pray that? Because God may have forgotten? No, we pray it to remind our souls every day. What what did Revelation teach us? God will make right everything wrong. He will do it in his perfect way and his perfect timing. And some of us will suffer in the waiting, but we will have every tear dried from our eyes. Church, am I talking to the right people? His kingdom is on its way. Don't be caught sleeping. We pray that every morning to remind us, this world seems broken. I know who will fix it. He also says, thy will be done. God has a plan for you. He has called you as his daughter. He has called you as his son. He has plans for you, and they are unique to you. They are all about his kingdom. They're all about his will. They're all about glorifying the kingdom of mercy and grace that he's given us. But none of us are spectators in this thing. We are all called to use our talents, to use our words, and to use our lives to stand up and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every one of us has a role. God's answers to my worry are his capabilities. This reminds me that when I know I'm not in charge and I wish I were, God's not offering me that. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember the manna in the wilderness with the Israelites? Some of them thought, well, it'd be more efficient if I collected three days' worth. God said, no, I'm going to give you enough for today. Yeah, but if I collect three days' worth, then I don't have to worry about it. God said, I know, I'm going to give you enough for today. So a guy went out and he said, I'm going to collect three days' worth. And he opened it up the next morning, it all molded and was stanky. God's like, hey, I got Wednesday covered. Do you just worry about Tuesday? Live in Tuesday. Appreciate what I give you Tuesday. Why? So God can keep us on a leash? No. So God can build our faith. Is God ever not going to be faithful? Some of the choices we make answer that question differently. Some of the questions we make is, if I don't look out for me, who will? Trusting God is one of the reasons we pray. Give me today enough for today. I, I know you have me tomorrow. God's answer to my guilt is his pardon. One of the healthiest things we do, and I know people think it's psychologically damaging, but one of the healthiest things we do when we gather together in worship is confess that we're sinful, confess that we struggle, confess that God continues to need to work in us because we fight it, we reject it, and we sometimes love our sin, right? And so, how do we deal with that? We pray to God daily. Forgive us our sins. Yes, did God wash your record clear on the day he brought the blood of Jesus Christ on you? Of course he did. But remember, it's not that God forgets, it's that we do. So we pray, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. I really kind of like, when we quote this as a staff, we always giggle because we never remember which word we chose. But I like both of them. Debts is the fact that I owe God for my sin. Trespasses means I crossed the line I wasn't allowed into. So I think both work, use them both, mess people up. God's answer to my strained relationship is his peace. So in verse 12, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And then you heard in the reading of the scripture this morning that Jesus said, God takes seriously how seriously you take your forgiveness. Remember the story about the two men? Both were forgiven, one a great sum and one a minor sum, and the one who was forgiven a great sum went out and... Couldn't forgive the person who owed him a minor sum? Jesus didn't tell that story because it was a good story. He told it because he was warning us. As you forgive, you will be forgiven. So I know when I'm looking around the room, some of us are like, man, that's hard. That's why we pray. We pray that God completes in us the work he began. We lean into him. We remind ourselves of our need every day to not hold grudges and to allow forgiveness for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of the souls of others. And God's answers to my temptation is his protection through the Spirit. This is where it all comes together, guys. The Holy Spirit inspires us and amends the truth and preaches the gospel to us through the word and through the Spirit itself. And Jesus, through the work of the death, burial, and resurrection, has given us privilege to walk into the holy of holies in the presence of God and not be knocked down dead. But to have been cleansed in the white robes, we stand before our Father. We get to go through this with the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Triune, putting it all together. And he tells us that they will lead us not into temptation. But you know this, right? If you want to be led, you got to follow. God doesn't say, I'm going to make your life easy and comfortable. He said, no, no, we're going to walk through this earth. Remember, Jesus prayed on the night he was betrayed. He thanked God that he could suffer. He thanked God that he could die. He thanked God that he would be raised again by God's power. And so when we say, lead us not into temptation, that may mean, remember in the princess bride when they went through the fire swamp? God may take you right through the fire swamp, but he'll go with you, and he will deliver you. And should you suffer through that period of time, you'll suffer, but he'll suffer with you. You will suffer knowing that he will wipe every tear, that it will all be worthwhile, and that God will never waste your suffering. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. He did. That's why your prayer ends in great celebration. Because we know that what we're asking for, he's already accomplished. We remind ourselves this is how we preach the gospel to our own souls. We remind ourselves who we are in the eyes of God. We remind ourselves what that cost him. And we remind ourselves that he did it willingly. What a privilege to be in the presence of the living God. You see, the Lord's Prayer is not just a pattern for prayer. It's a pattern for life. It embeds the gospel in our minds and our hearts. It teaches us truth. So this morning, let's just take a few moments. The words of the Lord's Prayer will appear on the screen. Spend a few moments with your Father, remembering how we begin. Our Father who is in heaven, this is Mark, a broken, needing man here on earth. Let's talk to our Father.
0: Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.